I like coming to church. I'm the pastor, so I have to. That's the reason why I like it so much, I guess. No, but, you know, I would, I would want to come to this church if I wasn't the pastor. And I say that because the people I've fallen in love with here. Thank you. Because I can go to church a lot of places, and I've been to a lot of churches. I've only been a pastor at three different churches, which in some ways is a record when you're considering I've been in ministry 27 years. <laughs> years ago, we took a mission trip to, inner city mission trip, if you call it a short-term mission trip, whatever you want to call it, to, uh, to Hollywood, California, Hollywood and Vine, and we did some work with a group there, and it was it was uh, it was an awesome time, and but the, the guy who led it though, he was uh, he said he went the 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 guy who led the whole ministry. He said he goes to Mardi Gras every year in New Orleans, and he walked around. I don't know if he still does. This is in 1999, but he said he walked around with the sandwich sign draped over his shoulders and walked around, and and all it said on the sign was "What if." What if? He said, you know, people are drunk, they're stoned, whatever, you know. So they come up to him and you go, what if? And he goes, the first thing I say to him is, what if I'm right? And they kind of go, what if you're right about what? They go, what if I'm right about Jesus? What if? What if? The person in Scripture who says, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? When was the last time you shared your faith story? If you have one, and not everybody here, and I'm going to assume today, and I hope I assume that every week, that not everybody in here has what we would call a faith story, where they've come to know Christ as their personal Savior, and there was a time before, and there's a time after. There is a, a time where you clearly can tell that things begin to change. When was the last time you explained to someone, not because, they, because you forced it, but somebody asked you, why are you a follower of this Jesus? Why? Oh, why do you go to church? Why? Oh, why are you a part of that church? Oh, why are you a part of renovation? Why? See, why to me provides, we've talked about it from day one here at Renovation from seven years ago, to start with why. Because what 
And like what I do on Sunday gives people context. And how I do it, okay. But, but what inspires people is the why you do it. That's what moves the needle. All the other just gives them information, but why? I, I attend this church because it's closest to my house. That could be true, but that's not very inspirational. <laughs> why am I a part of the Church of the Nazareth? Why are we a part? Well, well, because I always have been. Not very inspirational. Why am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, that one gets a little tricky. It cannot be secondhand, your relationship with him. It needs to be firsthand. It doesn't need to be lived through somebody else's or on somebody else's coattail. It needs to be firsthand. I'm a Christian because my wife really enjoys going to church, and I think she's a great follower of Christ, so I'm one. Not very inspirational. Not saying your wife's not inspirational. That's not what I'm saying. But why? John chapter 4. Most of you know, have heard this story. If you've been in church a long time, I'm not going to read all of John chapter 4. Not even the first 24 verses of it, really. But just to want to let you know, Jesus is going through Samaria. Samaria is a part of the what we call, you know, it's the Holy Land, but it's wedged between Judea and Galilee in the north part. And it used to be part of, the, part of the northern kingdom. Then the Assyrians came in, and when the Assyrians came in and overtook it, they intermingled with the Jews, and they, so they eventually became the Samaritans, if you will. And the reason why the Jews looked down on the Samaritans is because, they, yeah, they had the Jewish traditions, but they intermingled it with idols. And so the Jews looked at them as something you would not interface with. And Jesus now is going through Samaria. And he now ends up talking to a, what, we, what many of you know as the lady at the well. And he spends some time with her, tells her her story, tells her about this living water. Well, she'll never thirst again. Obviously very confusing to her, no doubt. But for some reason, in the middle of all this, she comes to this conclusion. I say for some reason, because... Sometimes you're not even expecting and Jesus shows up in your life. And you're a little confused. And you're trying to make sense of all of it. But he showed up. I want to read verses 24, I mean, excuse me, 25, and we're going to read down through 42, and we're going to... Pick some red letters out of here, okay? And some not red, but they will make sense. The woman said, and this is the lady at the well, after all that's been said and done here, uh, and Jesus has shared with you, you can go back and read that today. And he says to her, God, you know, that worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman says in verse 24, I know that the Messiah... Is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
just briefly here, I don't want to get too far off my notes. I knew for a long time that there was a God. There was no confusion about that. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know, and I ran from it for so long. I knew there was more. You know how many people you rub shoulders with every day that know there's more? That don't know Jesus. Don't know he's the answer. But they know there's more. You can cover it up in a lot of different ways. You know that, and I know that. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you may be doing it right now. You can cover up that voice, that calling, that, that eruption sometimes. You can cover it up with a lot of things, but then down deep within your spirit, your soul, you know. You know. Verse 27, just then that his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, hey, 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 come see a man who told me everything I knew. Could, could this be the Messiah? Come, 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 come explore this with me. I'm a little confused too, but I'm telling you something's happened. Come with me. Don't just believe my word. Come. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But then he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Remember last week we read about John and James, James and John wanting to sit at the right hand. What did Jesus say to them? You don't know what you're asking. Right now, you, I, I'm telling you, there is something that's coming. You are yet to understand it, but you will understand it. You will. But right now, you don't get it. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Someone needs to write that down in red letters. You need to find out what his will is in your life. He has sent you, and it is time to finish that work. But I'm not going to camp there too long today. But don't you have a saying? In the way Jesus flips it around, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you have a saying? Is this four months to the harvest? Don't you all, you guys say that? I tell you, though, open your eyes and look at the fields. Now, think about this. The woman has gone to town What's probably happening is the people, townspeople are coming towards them. Now get that picture, okay? They've been out there at the noon. Okay, that's what's happening. They were there at noon. We don't know how long the conversation was with the lady at the well. But now the, 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 the disciples have come back. She's gone into town. Now they are probably headed back. Here comes a crowd. And he says, get that picture in your head as he's saying these words. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. People you have looked down on, people you would have never considered, people that you... They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Just a picture there. It's, I, I'm understanding there have been prophets that have come before you, by, by the way, that have laid the groundwork for me to show up here. You did not have anything to do with that. You know, matter of fact, they didn't even get to see me. You get to see me. You, you're going to get to see me in the flesh. These guys have laid some groundwork for you to be right where you are right now. They didn't get to see the harvest. All they got to do was see the sowing. Others have done the hard work. And all Jesus is asking now, you begin to reap the benefits of their labor instead of taking it as an entitlement. I know I'm putting in a lot of extra words here that are not in red letters, but I'm trying to interpret it for you. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And what I love about that is, just again, I'm, I'm getting off my nose a little bit, but what I love about that is when you come to Jesus, you can just lay it all down. He already knows. Just lay it all down. And what I love about it is, is that the word says he forgets it as far as the east is from the west. When you are asked in repentance and surrender and you lay it down. It's the reason why at times when people, you keep bringing it back up to God to forgive you for something. He goes, I don't remember it because I have forgotten it as far as the east is from the west. I mean, the consequences are still there. I'm not saying there's not things out of that. But as far as your relationship to him, you come and surrender and repent. It is gone. You may not like it. You like it for you. I like it for me, but I might not like it for somebody else. Isn't that the way we work sometimes? We love the fact that Christ will forgive us for whatever it may be. We struggle with the fact that he would forgive somebody else. So when the Samaritans came to him, this is something I have read. There is no telling how many times I've read the book of John. It's countless. But just something jumped out to me this week when I was working on this. They urged him to stay with him. And I just, he stayed two days. I don't know if I'd ever picked up. I know I've read it. Jesus had enough margin in his life. That when he read and reacted, when he saw it and God moved, he stayed. He rearranged his schedule. That may not be a big deal to you, but I think in this passage of Scripture, I think it's important. What does it go on to say? And because of his words, because he stayed even, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. What if it is the Messiah? What if... 
And what I love about people who have been transformed, who have been blown up by Jesus, they can't keep it to themselves. I love that. That it just, there's something has happened to them so unbelievable, so transformable, transformational. They cannot help but tell about what they have seen and heard. Peter and John, how can we help but tell? I mean, Peter and John, were their lives were on the line, if you will. And they said, we can't help it. That's what happens when a life is transformed. You can't help it. It comes from the oddest places. The woman. The anointing to go back and tell those people who she had probably been alienated by. And they believed her. Jesus, throughout Scripture, I mean, throughout, we see as it's recorded, he went to the marginalized. I love in John 1, as John's writing, John 1, 4, and 5 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Tax collectors, prostitutes. The light shines in the darkness. You know, when I read this, and I don't know for any of you, you probably don't go where my mind goes, but but when I read about the lady, the Samaritan lady at the well, for just for a minute, I would ask you, would you say you maybe was that lady? I mean, I know if you took a picture of me at 25 years old, I was at the lady at the well. But what I love about the fact that Jesus came to me with the grace and compassion, he came to me in the midst of my ugliness and my messiness, and he came to me in the middle of all that. While we were still sinners. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, said, God poured out his grace. I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, but God poured out his grace to make me an example to those who would eventually believe. Just a side note, the reason why we don't have two our two folks here on the front row, not side note, in this sense, but Josh and Victoria had little Gabriella. Gabriella? Yeah, the last. And I'm sure some of you have seen Victoria walking around here. Look like she swallowed a basketball, as we say. But what's funny about it is, again, you may be like me if you just go, I think she's pregnant. I'm not sure if you're a guy, especially, like I've said before, I don't ask ladies if they're pregnant unless the baby's actually being born at the time. Okay, I just I try to protect myself, so I try to be as wise as I possibly can on that subject, okay? But just excited about that boy. But they experienced something two days ago that, as parents, you understand this, but as individuals who are Christians understand it, 
There you go. That little baby right there is going to cause them more trouble than they can imagine. (laughs) Right? Right? Okay, right? Hasn't done a darn thing to earn any love. That's unconditional. Unmerited. Matter of fact, she may do a lot of things to not earn anything. But in that moment, even though God had been growing Gabriella in her in Victoria's belly and they'd already began to love her, no question about that. But there is something in that moment when they're born that there is this explosion of love that comes out of that that it's unexplainable because you didn't know you had that much more love. You mean inside of me, inside of me as a human being, there is that more, much love in my life that I can do that? Your people say, well, how can God love everybody? How can he know? I'm going to tell you right now, when I had all four of our kids, I don't love them 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. I love them 100, 100, 175, Okay. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We see it in our lives. We know what unmerited favor is. We know what grace is. We know it. Quit acting like you don't understand it. It is real before you, and you know it. You've experienced it. First, receive it. Then be a giver of it. And you will never be a giver of it unless you learn how to receive it. The second thing I get out of here is that the greatest fear that I think I have, and I I don't know about you, and I know fear, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I get all that, but here's my greatest fear is what the disciples just experienced, that I would miss God. They didn't know they were on a mission trip. They didn't realize going through Samaria was a mission trip. They met the lady coming. They met the lady going. I think the disciples spent most of their time before Pentecost doing this. What did he just say? <laughs> what do you think? I mean, they're sitting there going, what? I don't, I don't. Jesus is going, you don't understand it right now, but you will. See, for some of you today... And what does Jesus go on to say? He said, what energizes me? Here's my why. My why is to do the will of the Father. My why is to find why my, the purpose I have been put here on earth and live into it. That is my greater why. And it energized Jesus. It took him to places he would have, as a regular human being, would have never gone. You know, 16 years old, I missed it. 
And for the next 10 years, it took me down a path of damage and destruction. It just did. But at 27, I don't know if y'all have seen this video this week of, of Lorenzo Keynes, a player for the Milwaukee Brewers. You can watch the video later about his son Cameron who makes this statement. Lorenzo Keynes stole. I'm a big St. Louis Cardinal fan, those of you who don't know. He stole a, a home run, a bottom of the ninth inning, two out the other day, the last out of the game. They were interviewing him after the game. And they said, what were you thinking, Lorenzo, when you caught that going, not today. Not today. And then he's interviewing his son. He's like two years old, three years old, whatever. And I go, his name's Camwin. This is how he pronounces it. My name's Camwin. And he, go, he goes, I want to tell him, Dad. And he goes, and he turns around and he goes, he goes, not today. <laughs> not today. And the reason I tell you that is, at 27 years old, the enemy came back again. And in my spirit and the depths of my soul going, not today. Not today. Some of you need to draw, drop a stake down and go, not today. Not any longer. From March 31st, 2019, we're marching forward. Not today. I know I've messed up. I know I've caused wreak it. I've wreaked havoc. I know that. But not today. It's stopping today. You have a story to tell. You can't wait to tell it. And you're energized by a purpose that's greater than you. Jesus said, Remember last week we talked about in, in Luke 14, Jesus says, go out on the highways and byways and, and invite them in. And everybody kept going, well, you know, I bought an ox. I got to try it out. Well, I got married. Got to see how that works out. I don't think that's what they said, but anyway. He said, go invite the crippled and the lame. Okay, you don't want to come? Those of you who are too busy? Those of you who are too busy to put it all down? You? Okay. But I'm telling you, there will be people. There will be people. Jesus says in Matthew 35, 38, says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, if you've got a Bible and you want to use a pen, circle saw, Jesus saw the crowds. But actually back up in verse 38, and many of you have heard me preach on this before. I won't preach in this sermon. I'm just going to refer to it. Jesus went. The problem many of you got, you're not willing to went. You're not willing to go. Matthew 28, go into all the world. You know what the, the Greek word for go is? Go. <laughs> go. He went and he saw. He saw. He saw the people. He saw them harassed. I should read the finish, finish reading it here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me go back, if you don't mind, Tori, go back to verse John 
435. It's still four months. You have this saying, it's still four months. But I tell you, the harvest is now. You know what happens to a harvest is not reap when it's ripe? It's spoiled. It drops and spoils. There is an urgency to this. I heard people say, I heard a deal years ago said, uh, you know, we, we would know that people were concerned that people were going to hell because if they were concerned about it, people would be doing more about it to keep people from going there. Some reap, some sow. There have been people reaping on this campus for 50 years. On this campus. I don't know if we had the photos of some of them there. 50 years ago. These people didn't know you for the most part. They didn't know what you looked like if you existed. Some of you, yes. Very few of you, but some of you. But there was a dream. There was a vision. To come to a neighborhood. That even 50 years later, that we would sow and someone else might reap. In the church of the Nazarene that we've been a part of a hundred and something years ago, they were sowing. Dr. Dan and I were talking about it this week. That one of the things about the church of the Nazarene, uh, Brazil wanted to incite or stir up where there were centers of fire across this country. But especially to the marginalized that a matter of fact, L.A. First Church, I think one Dan was talking about that, that, that back then there was a newspaper. Some said top ten things to see on the weekend in L.A. One of them was going to L.A. First Church of the Nazarene because on the front two rows were the poorest of the poor. It was a sight to go see because Brzee met them at the back door and walked them to the front row. We're in 160 world areas. I don't imagine they ever thought about that. But one of the reasons I'm a part of the Church of Nazarene is because of the radical optimism of the hope that God wants us to have a salvation more than runs hot or cold or makes us feel guilty most of the time or just gets us to heaven. It is salvation that transforms me back to my primitive health. Back to what God designed for me in the first place. To redeem those years that were lost. That God can go redeem those and make those something beautiful in his eyes. That's the God. And that's why I'm part of this particular denomination. And you can decide what you want to do with that. I believe if you want to get people to start getting their lives straight with God, I believe the best way to do it is get them on the mission of what God's designed them for. And when they start intermingling with people and wanting to tell them about Jesus, they will want to make sure they're representing Him the best they can. And they'll start cleaning things up. Instead of us just telling them, don't do do that, don't go there, don't do it. And I understand all that. And there's wise counsel behind that. But when you get on a mission for God, you start going, I would rather not do that particular thing so I won't cause someone else to stumble. You just will. Or you'll begin to do things you never would have done before. 
because you want to see people come into the kingdom. Instead of just having a list of do's and don'ts, get people's hearts aligned with the mission of God in their life. And all that begins to take care of itself. And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit leads us in small ways. He leads us in large ways. Wherever you're going, wherever you're engaged and influential this week, wherever your mission field is, I believe one of the reasons why I was leading people to Christ at Alumax when I first came to know the Lord, the reason why is because I, be- I understood that God wanted to use me. And it energized me. Now, I'm not sure everybody else there was glad that I understood that. (laughs) But I miss it. I miss those five years of being a Christian from 86 to 92, of rubbing shoulders every day with people far away from God, people I worked with, people that could watch my life, people that could... Some of you guys have been given awesome opportunities to rub shoulders in mission fields that some of you are wanting out of the job, and God's going, boy, if you just repurpose the why you're there... You'd be amazed at how adventurous this might become. Because I want to use you. Jesus stayed two days. He stayed two days. I think that's significant. That he made the change. He made the change. He altered his schedule. When people responded, he was ready. This week, I was actually the last, oh, probably the last month or so, we had a, a uh, M19 conference with the Church of the Nazarene does. And it was a video that I received this week from that conference that I want to show to you. Then we're going to close here in just a minute, and you're going to help us. I'm going to encourage you, don't leave. I'm going to encourage you to help us here today because there is something about sharing your story and being excited about what God's doing in your life. But I want you to watch this. And it's from the Church of the Nazarene before we close today. Really, it's conquering the fear. Fear has such a way of paralyzing people. Because that's why it's so much adrenaline because there's so much possibility for what could go wrong and uh, how bad you could get hurt. And that's what keeps some people from being good rough stock riders is just fear. And keeps some people from being strong Christians is fear. Paso, Arkansas is a little bitty town. There's not even a couple hundred people in it. There's two stations in the, in the corner and a post office. But what I knew about El Paso, everything cowboy that happens in Arkansas passes through El Paso, uh, going to a rodeo one way or another. And so I determined through prayer and just studying about it that El Paso is where we needed a cowboy church. This has uh, been one of the most uh, 
challenging and rewarding things I've ever been a part of. A lot of hard work. I think I've worked a lot harder than I ever did as a traditional pastor and I had to make some adjustments myself in the way I approached ministry. When I preached in a traditional church, I pretty much was preaching to the choir every Sunday morning. But I know that when I stand up and preach here on Sunday morning, there's a good chance that anywhere from a quarter to half my congregation is as lost as they can be. And so that puts fire in my belly to clearly present the gospel. They believe in God, but just because they know God, that lots of them never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They believe in God, but they but they rodeo on the weekends, they horse show on the weekends. And so a cowboy pastor's got to understand where they come from. That's what's so exciting is that these folks are great people, but they need to know Jesus Christ. You've got to make a connection with the community to allow you the opportunity to evangelize. That's the deal here, is that we have a built-in connection with this community through the arena. And then second of all, you've got to lower the barriers to coming to church. We've got to stop expecting people to behave and dress and talk just like we do because they've been there one time. The men is who we target. And that's that guy, probably spends a lot of time in the bar, never spend any time in church but they they've been overlooked just simply because they wouldn't they wouldn't modify to what the church says church looks like once the gospel's presented you know the holy spirit does the work but sometimes you you don't get that opportunity because of the roadblocks that are in the way and so we're always going to keep it like a real simple barn setting where you know cowboy joe feels comfortable to come in with you know, horse poop on his boots. We're not changing the message, but we're sure changing the environment uh, that it's presented in and, uh, and our methods. I've had people come to me and say, hey, you know, so-and-so's got alcohol in the breath or I think they got it in their cup, you know. And, and I've, I've had people there to tell me, you know, if you don't ask them to leave, we're going to leave. And I just said, you know, look, if you leave, there's a dozen other churches right up and down this road right here that you can go to and you'll be accepted and right at home. But if I ask that individual to leave, they may never darken the door of a church again and most likely they won't. And so I think as long as those people are there, we're getting the chance to share the good news with them and that sooner or later the grace of God's gonna get through. It's the way we do church and we just, we take people right where they're at. We all go through crisis experiences, and I think that's how God grows us usually. These guys go through crisis just like anybody else. They have parents that die, brothers that get killed, somebody gets hurt, and, and so they, you know, that's when they sometimes start seeking out spiritual help as well, and, and they want to go to somebody they feel like's been there and done it, you know, somebody that understands where they're coming from. And so um, I'm, you know, I'm not proud of anything I ever did that wasn't connected with the Lord, but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I can pull from that, those experiences to kind of identify with some of these guys. We're seeing people get saved that normally wouldn't have darkened the doors of a church. Families that are being restored, 
and we've just built a great community here. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. You're going to help us today. There's a lot of reasons why. But he took a broken, confused, messed up young man and turned it around. Changed the trajectory in a moment. And I look for ways to share that story. Many people kind of write the church. I'm going to ask Joe Sidenham to come on up. Many people write the church off saying its best days are behind it. In many ways, we've been moved to the edge of town. I get that. Used to be we were at the center of town. What I do believe is the best days are ahead if the people of God step into it. If the people of God step into it. They were willing to share the story. We're willing to make space in our lives. As we talked about last week, we don't need an evangelism strategy. We need a blessing strategy. But we need to know how to tell our story. So one of the ways we're going to try to do that after a couple of homework. One homework is, I would just challenge you to go this week and write down a few things of the why. Why you're a Christian. Why you're a part of renovation. And just write it down. So if someone asks you why, you would know how to answer them, to give an answer for the hope that is within you. I believe that's very biblical. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to help us here today. We're going to be doing a series after Easter called Somebody. And that somebody is Jesus. But we're basing it on part of it on a, a song that's out right now that many of you have heard me butcher singing for years is that I'm just a nobody. The Casting Crowns and Matthew West have come along and cleaned it up a little bit, made it a little more popular. But we want to introduce this video on Easter leading into our series over that next five weeks afterwards, telling the story about Jesus, but how it intertwines with people's story. It's not just some separate thing. There really is no story unless it intertwines with humankind in that sense. So we're going to ask you, Josiah is going to help us here. Josiah and the gang is going to help us. Uh, Logan's here again this week. He may come to you. Bailey, where's Bailey? Bailey may challenge some of you to help us here before it's all over with today. But one of the things we're going to do, and we're going to ask your help with energy, with enthusiasm, is to sing the chorus of this song for us. Josiah's going to lead us through it. Won't you stand? I know you didn't come today. I, I made sure I wore a shirt today that I wouldn't be ashamed of 20 years from now. So some of you may have, so it could look bad on you, just so you know. No. But we're going to ask you to help us. I think it's a lot of fun. I think churches who have fun together go to heaven together. That's what I think. Okay? Okay.